who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book two of the Shadow Magic series. Read by the author. Chapter 13, The Gray Ones. This manuscript was old, and it certainly wasn't easy to decipher. I admit I started reading it just to get some dirt on S's Turdlow boy, but I soon forgot all of that when I got into the meat of it. It was a story of the end of the first millennium when the three sisters ruled the land. The original Turlo went to Banba and demanded to be allowed to return to the other world. Banba told him that leaving was impossible. She warned that the further any of them sailed from the land, the faster they would age and die. The price of immortality, Banba told Turlo, was that he and his kinsmen must remain in the land. Turlo refused to believe her and set sail for his long-lost homeland. But as he sailed away, he and the members of his crew felt the effects of aging in their bones. Their skins creased and their hair began to gray. They turned back, daring to go no further. Turlo and his group, now called the Gray Ones, still did not give up searching for a way to leave Tirnanog. A sorcerer atop Mount Cass told them of a creature called Tautine, whose blood could renew their youth and allow them to leave unharmed. Even though the sorcerer told them that getting this blood would be an extremely perilous undertaking, they swore that they would find it. When Banba heard of their quest, she and her guards set out to stop them. Neither Banba, or her guards, or Turlo, or the Grey Ones were ever seen again. I scoured my dictionaries, and allowing for slight changes in spelling, I translated Tautine into Red Eel. I had been at this manuscript for well over my allotted time. Twice I told the imp scholar who was scheduled for the slot after me to go away and have a cup of tea. When she came back a third time, I could see that she was just itching to get stuck into more imp gardening tips. But I told her that I was keeping the shadow reader and went in search of Mom. I found her in the canteen sitting with Spidog. When she saw me holding a shadow book, she stood. 
What have you found? I handed her the manuscript and gave them a brief summary of what I had discovered. It occurred to me that I might be telling a tale that everyone except me knew by heart, but judging by the expressions on both of their faces, I was surprising them a bit. When I had finished, Mom said, I always suspected that my father had secret manuscripts that he only allowed certain people to see. I remember banshees coming to the hall and my father being very secretive with them. This story is amazing. So you've never heard it before? Well, I have heard of the Grey Ones, of course, but I assumed that that was just an old tale to warn children about going too far out in boats. I never heard that they were banshees and that they wanted to leave. And there never has been an explanation as to why Banba left. How about this Taw Tyne? I asked. I have never heard of it. Have you, Spidog? No, my lady. But if we could get some of this eel blood, then it might reset Dad, and his hand will stop killing him. This is a very old manuscript, and it doesn't even say if red eels exist. This is an exceptional find, my son, but I wouldn't get too excited. Well, what about Mount Cass? We can at least check if this sorcerer guy is still there. Connor, this was the first millennium. There will be no sorcerer there now. Actually, my lady, that may not be entirely true. Mom and I both snapped to attention as the old archer continued. The last time I saw Kilty was not long after Oisin disappeared. I was traveling cross-country, and at the base of Mount Cass, I saw someone coming down from the mountain. I set camp and waited for the traveler, hoping to swap a meal for information of this mountain that I had never explored. As he approached, I was very surprised indeed to find that it was Kielty. The prince accepted my hospitality, but gave away little of what he was doing on the mountain, except that he had been visiting a very old oracle. A year later, I traveled up Mount Cass in search of this man. About two-thirds of the way up, I found a house built into the mountainside made entirely out of yew wood. I knocked at the entrance, but was told by a voice on the other side of the door that only those who were worthy may receive an audience there. I left and never returned. We should go, I said standing. Hold on, Connor, Mom said. Let's stop and think about this. What's there to think about, Mom? I've been plowing through these scraps of paper night and day for almost two weeks, and what have I found? Zip. This is our first good lead. Let me look into it. I'm going crazy around here. Please, I said, sounding like a ten-year-old asking if he can go to the park by himself. It may be too late, Spidog said. What do you mean? Winter is close here, but it may have already arrived on the mountain. The pass may be impassable. Then we have to go now, I said, getting to my feet. Mom, you said yourself that maybe the gods want me to find a cure for Dad. Well, maybe they wanted me to read this manuscript. Look, Mom, I don't want to defy you, but I gotta talk to this oracle guy. She stood, and I braced myself. It's never a good idea to get into a conflict with my mother. Then she hugged me and said, Promise me you won't do anything foolish. Who? Me? I said, flashing a house of door smile. And dress warm. 
Araf, Brendan, Spidog, and I set off at dawn. It was freezing out, but I didn't complain. I was excited to be doing anything other than just reading. Brendan and I spent all of the previous night trying to borrow warm clothes off my students. I felt sorry for the few who gave us wool underwear. Tomorrow they would find out from Dahi that I didn't actually have the authority to give them a vacation. I may have looked like I got dressed in total darkness, but I was toasty. I tried to dissuade Brendan for coming, on the count that it might be too dangerous, but he insisted. I'll be right by your side, he said. I was touched by his loyalty until he continued. I go where Master Spidog goes. Dahi saw us off. Before I mounted Acorn, he whispered in my ear, If you get into trouble, trust Spidog. He's arrogant and annoying, and he talks nonsense, and I really do not like him, but he is a good man under pressure. He gave me a leg up. As he guided my foot into the stirrup, he lifted my trouser cuff and strapped a leather sheath containing one of his knives to my leg. Then he pulled down the cuff, patted my leg, and winked at me. I saluted the master with a nod of the head. Araf and I wanted to bring a half a dozen soldiers to help pitch tents and cook and maybe set up a base camp, but Spidog said we had to travel light and fast. If we beat the snows, it will only be by days, he said. And it will be a good thing for you two princes to go without your hand servants for a while. Dahi was right. He was annoying. We traveled hard, and while the sun was in the sky, we took no breaks. On the morning of the third day, we saw the peak of Mount Cass. It looked close, but it took two more days to get to the foothills of it. On the fifth day, we found a field and set up a base camp where we left the horses to graze. After that, we were on foot. It took a day to reach the base of the main peak, and then another day of circling the mountain to find the trail up. The days were cold and the nights freezing, but there was no imminent threat of snow. The night before we started our ascent, Spidog disappeared and came back with a couple of pheasants that he had convinced to give up breathing so he could eat. There was little talk over dinner. Araf and Brendan turned in early, but something in the old archer's eyes made me think that he was troubled. So I sat with him by the fire and matched his silence. Finally, he blurted out, I want to know why. I waited for him to say more, but when he didn't, I asked, Why what? He didn't look at me. He just kept staring into the fire. Why? I was unworthy. Who says you're unworthy? He pointed up the mountain. The Oracle. The last time I was here, he told me that I was unworthy. I did not ask him why, I just accepted it. This time, I want to know. Well, I think it's probably because he's nuts and has been breathing thin air for too long. One thing you are not is unworthy. Even Dahi respects you. He looked at me. How do you know that? He told me. That brought a crooked smile to Spidog's face. It must have pained him to tell you that. I laughed. I think it did. I stirred the fire with a stick and felt the extra warmth on my face. I found a letter of yours in the library. Oh, yes? Yeah, it was a letter you wrote to Dahi after the Feely War. Really? Oh, 
I think I remember someone collating material for some sort of an archive. Good gosh, that was many years ago. It seems to me that you and Dahi were friends. After a sigh, he said, We were. More than just friends, we were comrades in arms. What happened? What else? A girl. I thought he stole her from me. He thought I stole her from him. In the end, we fought. She said that she loved each of us equally, and it was tearing her apart. She left us both, and that is when I disappeared into the real world. Dahi said he wasn't mad about the girl. He claimed that he was really mad about me leaving my duties, but that is a false memory on his part. It was the girl. I needed to get away from him and her. But more importantly, I needed to find some peace of mind. I went to the real world, which was a very barbaric place back then. I didn't discover what I was looking for until I traveled east. In Asia, I found that the answer lies within. And as a bonus, I learned their way of fighting. It was exciting, and it changed my life. Everyone thinks that fighting is about brawn, but in the East I learned that success in a battle comes from thinking. Dahi says that, you know. I am not surprised. Master Dahi is the most natural fighter I have ever known. He did not have to study to be as good as he is. It sounds to me that you two still like each other. Maybe, he said. What happened to the girl? She found another, a man better than both of us. Well, I think you're both great men, I said standing. It was time for bed. It sounds to me that that two-timing woman screwed up a good friendship. Spitog rose, his face grimaced in the firelight. You really should not speak that way about your grandmother. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunison. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats. 